Yeah, it is a long one. Uh, it's longer than usual. It is considered one of the most difficult psalms to interpret uh, in in the Bible, because uh, <laughs> we'll we'll give it a give it our shot. Psalm sixty-eight. I'll read it out loud for us. God shall arise. His enemies shall be scattered, and those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. But the righteous shall be glad. They shall exalt before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exalt before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. O God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth quaked, the heavens poured down rain, Selah. Before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel, Rain in abundance, O God, you shed abroad. You restored your inheritance as it languished. Your flock found a dwelling in it. In your goodness, O God, you provided for the needy. The Lord gives the word. The women who announce the news are a great host. The kings of the armies, they flee, they flee. The women at home divide the spoil, though you men lie among the sheepfolds. The wings of a dove covered with silver, its pinions with shimmering gold. When the Almighty scatters kings there, let snow fall on Zalman. O mountain of God, mountain of Bashan, O many-peaked mountain, mountain of Bashan, why do you look with hatred, O many-peaked mountain, at the mount that God desired for his abode? Yes, where the Lord will dwell forever. The chariots of God are twice ten thousand, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. You ascended on high leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious that the Lord God may dwell there. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Selah. Our God is a God of salvation, and to God the Lord belong deliverances from death. But God will strike the heads of his enemies, the hairy crown of him who walks in his guilty ways. The Lord said, I will bring them back from Bashan, I will bring them back from the depths of the sea, that you may strike your feet in their blood, that the tongues of your dogs may have their portion from the foe. Your procession is seen, O God, the procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. The singers in front, the musicians last, between them virgins playing tambourines. Bless God in the great congregation, the Lord, O you who are of Israel's fountain. There is Benjamin, the least of them in the lead, the princes of Judah in their throne, the princes of Zebulun, the princes of Naphtali. Summon your power, O God, the power, O God, by which you have worked for us. Because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings shall bear gifts to you. Rebuke the beasts that dwell among the reeds, the herds of bulls with the calves of the peoples. Trample underfoot those who lust after tribute. Scatter the peoples with delight in war. Nobles shall come from Egypt. Cush shall hasten to stretch out her hands to God. O kingdoms of the earth, sing to God, sing praises to the Lord, Selah. 
To him who rise in the heavens, the ancient heavens, behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice. Ascribe power to God, whose majesty is over Israel, and whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. Amen. So, um, Psalm 68 uh, is really about the presence of God. And it's really, the main point is that we should worship the God who rises before us, rescues among us, and rules over us. And it's, it's those three movements we see, uh, in the, there's three parts, in verses 1 to 10, it's about how God rises on behalf of his people who are embattled by enemies. Uh, and then verses 11 to 23 is about how God rescues those people from their enemies. And then verses 24 to 35 is about how God triumphantly now reigns over his people after that. So it's kind of a three-part movement between the battle to the victory to kind of the celebration, the procession after the victory. Um, in the in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant, which was the gold-covered wooden chest that represented God's footstool, right? So if if God dwell in heaven, uh, the footstool was considered um, uh, the uh, God put His feet on it, uh, and it, that was considered the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, this was uh, the embodiment of the presence of God. And so, when, in Numbers ten thirty-five to thirty-six. So that whenever the ark set out, Moses said, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. And that's really the practice that's being alluded to here in verses 1 to 2. Because it says, God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered. right? And those who hate him shall flee before him, as smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away, as wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. So it's a picture of God arousing himself into, into battle and how he marches before his people. Uh, and, uh, and that's why it says in verse 7, Oh, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness. So God's not pictured here as that cowardly general, right, who hides in a bunker somewhere while his men go out to fight. He's the one that leads before us, goes before us into battle. Uh, and, and when he comes into battle, his enemies are scattered and flee like smoke, uh, just driven away as wax melts before the fire. So it's like when you snuff out a fire from a candle, right, you don't need to try to blow away the the smoke, it just that's what it does. That's all it, it vanishes, it disappears, it flees. In the same way, when God comes into the battle, the enemies just flee like smoke. In the same way, like wax, though it feels solid and substantive, as soon as you bring it before the heat of the fire, it crumples, right? Uh, and, and loses its form and shape. So the enemies crumple and lose their courage and fail, their strength fail before uh, the presence of God, they perish. Um, and But the righteous, on the other hand, he says, shall be glad, they shall exalt before God, they shall be jubilant with joy. So for that reason, the psalmist, uh, it may be David, because it says the psalm of David, who, uh, if he tells us to sing praises to God in verse 4. Sing to God, sing praises to his name, lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord, exalt before him. And uh, this is uh, reminiscent of... Uh, uh, prophecy in Isaiah 43 which said in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord make straight in the desert a highway for our God right so this is the God who saves people from the desert he brought Israel through the wilderness in the same way the Messiah when he comes right the, 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 he, he comes through the wilderness and then verses 5 to 6 uh, the psalmist provides more reasons to praise him it says the father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation 
God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. I love this image, right? This is one that we're familiar with of the God who is the father to the fatherless, right? He's the benevolent father of his household, his family, and he protects those who are most vulnerable, right? And in the ancient world, there is no one more vulnerable than the orphans and the widows, right? Because they have no recourse to survival in most cases without family members to support them, and especially without fathers. Uh, and, and But God proves himself to be father to these people. He's the father uh, to the fatherless. And over and over again throughout Scripture, God shows his special care and attention for the orphans and the widows, uh, those who need protection. And so he says, God puts the solitary, those who are isolated and lonely, he settles them in a home. Uh, and, and he leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. And not only does God protect the weak, so he's a protector of the weak, but he says he's also a provider for the needy. Right? If you look at verses 7 to 10. O oh God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, Selah, the earth quaked, the heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel. Rain in abundance, O oh God, you shed abroad. You restored your inheritance as it languished. Your flock found a dwelling in it. In your goodness, O oh God, you provided for the needy. This is, a, this is an allusion to God's deliverance in Judges 5, 4 to 5. Um, and then er, there's obviously a theme here of wilderness. Right Early in verse 4, he mentioned God who rides through the deserts. So now here in verse 7, he speaks about God marched through the wilderness. And, uh, and both images really depict God rising and going before his people into battle uh, in the wilderness. Uh, and it's as if he's riding his chariot through the wilderness uh, or he's uh, you know, marching in there. And this showcases God's power, uh, his, the fact that he cannot be stopped. Because even though nowadays, you know, people like living in desert re- regions, you know, like, I mean, because it's sunny all the time, right? But, but it's, at least in the ancient world, those are not considered uh, inhabitable lands, right? Because you need water to survive, right? Because you need to be able to farm, you need rain, you need rivers, right? So it's the, uh, and that's the, uh, and here, uh, and so it's, but when, even though these are, uh, desert lands, uh, wilderness, when God goes through it, marched through it, something amazing happens. The heavens pour down rain before God. And the rain in abundance, so God, you shed abroad. Uh, and this is a polemic against the uh, worship of Baal, who was considered by the pagan nations surrounding Israel the god of rain, right? So they're saying that. And because the, the, the seduction of Baal's cult was huge in Israel because they, need, they relied on rain for their daily life. And, but the psalmist here is telling us that it's not Baal who brings rain. It's the Yahweh who can bring rain even in the wilderness. He's the rider on the clouds, the rider through the desert. Um, and, uh, and, then, uh, and so this is a helpful for us. that He's prov- a protector of the weak. He's a provider for the needy. He's the one that goes before us into battle. He's the one that um, rises before us. So if you feel weak, right now, right? If you feel isolated or powerless or vulnerable in any way, then you can remember that God rises and goes before you. That he's, uh, and when he does, his enemies flee like smoke and melt like wax. Um, and if you feel needy right now, like you need provision from God, right? Then you could, then you can recognize that whether you need money or, you know, companionship or friendship or comfort, God rises before us and goes before us, and He's the Father to the fatherless and protector of widows. And He's not, you know, sending us alone. Yeah, he's not making us deal with tribulations alone. He goes first. He gets gone in before us to protect us and provide for us. 
you know, having painted that picture of the God who rises before us uh, in verses 11 to 23, the psalmist paints a picture of the God who rescues us in battle victoriously. Verses 11 to 13 says, The Lord gives the word. The women who announce the news are a great host. The kings of the armies, they flee, they flee. The women at home divide the spoil. Though you men lie among the sheepfolds, the wings of a dove covered with silver, its pinions with shimmering gold. Um, as soon as he enters the battle, it's won, right? And so they announce, he announces, uh, the, the Lord gives the word. And then the women at home announce the great news, spread the word, that the kings of the armies, they flee, they flee. And uh, it, it, to flee, it's the word that's used to describe birds that flutter away, right? It's, so they flee like these birds uh, that are scared uh, to be trampled on. Uh, and as a result, the women at home divide the spoil. And them dividing the spoil is compared to the image of the wings of a dove covered with silver, its pinions with shimmering gold. A uh, dove is often used in scripture as a symbol for God's people, Israel. So in Psalm seventy-four, nineteen, he says, Do not deliver the soul of your dove to the wild beasts. Do not forget the life of the poor forever. It's the dove representing Israel, God's people. And so here, the dove probably represents Israel and the women who are dividing the spoil. So that as the dove, they're, 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 it's, it's kind of like like a dove that's gilded, you know, has gold and silver around it, like it's preening to, you know, show, showcase what he has. In a similar way, these women who are dividing the spoils at home are, 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 are sharing and showing the world this is what we have from our victory. They're kind of uh, rejoicing, exulting in their victory. And they're able to do this and rejoice in their victory won from the battle. Uh, and uh, not because the men went out there to fight on their behalf, because it says... That uh, though you men lie among the sheepfolds in verse thirteen, um, that's an illusion. That's uh, it's, similar expression is used in Judges five sixteen. You guys know the story of Deborah, right? And uh, Deborah and Barak, the uh, commander of the Israelites' army, they go into battle. They defeat the king of Canaan, Jabin, and then Sisera, the commander of the army, and then they celebrate in song after the victory in Judges five. And but the tribe of Reuben didn't show up for the battles. And so they say about them, why did you sit still among the sheepfolds to hear the whistling for the flocks, right? So it's not just the, our generation of, of men that are prone to the idols of passivity and laziness and irresponsibility and immaturity, right? I mean, the men of Israel were immature there. They, weren't, they stayed behind and didn't do anything. Yet even then, even that, that's the case, God single-handedly saved them, uh, delivered them so that these women at home can divide the spoils. Um, and then uh, verse 14 continues, When the Almighty scatters kings there, let snow fall on Zalman. Uh, no one really knows what that means. But the Zalman uh, means black. And so there may be a poetic contrast here of, of making something that was black white, right? So snow falling on Zalman. So that kind of reversal of, uh, of uh, fortunes that God has brought about for his people. And then the... Uh, Psalmist turns his attention to two other personified mountains. First, in verse 15, he brings attention to the mountain of God, uh, which is Mount Zion. Uh, and, then, and then later, it, he addresses mountain of Bashan, or Bashan, which he describes as the many-peaked mountain. Bashan was an area known throughout scripture for ha- uh, its fertility and for having uh, these you know, uh, strong bulls, fat cows, and fierce lions. And for that reason, it came to be uh, represent a symbol of power and wealth. 
You know, so therefore it personifies really the glory and power of the nations that surround Israel. Um, but even though they have much to show for themselves, God didn't choose that mountain to dwell among them. So they're jealous. So they're saying in, so in verses 16 to 17, it says, Why do you look with hatred, O many peaked mountain, at the mount that God desired for his abode? Yes, where the Lord will dwell forever. The chariots of God are twice ten thousand, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. So the Sinai where God met Israel, revealed himself, is now thought to be in Mount Zion because that's where the presence of God is. Um, and then verses 18 to 19 describe the psalmist, I mean the God's triumphant procession after his victory. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious that the Lord God may dwell there. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Selah. Um, and uh, so here in, in verses 20 to 23, God, uh, God's salvation of his people is contrasted with his striking of his enemies. Um, and and the, uh, here it says, the, It is the Lord uh, to whom belong deliverances from death. That's again a polemic against Baal because uh, the, the Hebrew word for death is mot, which is also the name of the the god basically that was supposed to be a chief enemy of Baal but he's saying here it's not Baal who defeats death it's the Lord who delivers from death uh, from the, from Mot uh, and uh, and here uh, and and he strikes his enemies uh, the hairy crown probably just represents his head uh, that's you know big headed boasting like a crown like like a and then, um, and the images of you know striking your feet in their blood, right? It's God brings all the, the those enemies who had fled who had fled back, so that uh, Israelites, His people, can uh, exult in their victory over them. And strike their feet in their blood. That image captures that. Uh, tongues of the dogs licking the blood. That's another image of complete annihilation and and uh, uh, humiliation of the enemies of God. Um, and so. That's the God who is among us to rescue us. So then whatever we're in the midst of, whether it's sin or suffering, we can remember that God's with us to help us, to rescue us. And then the final movement of the psalm, uh, after describing the victory of the God who rescues us, the psalmist uh, transitions to in verses 24 to 35 to celebrate the God who rules over us. Um, it says in verses 24 to 27, your procession is seen, O God, the procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. The singers in front, the musicians last, between them virgins playing tambourines. Bless God in the great congregation, the Lord, O you who are of Israel's fountain. There is Benjamin, the least of them in the lead, the princes of Judah in their throng, the princes of Zebulun, the princes of Naphtali. Uh, but it's not just Israelites. So those tribes represent all of Israel. Uh, and it's not just the Israelites. It's uh, also Egypt, it says in verses 28 to 33. And uh, the beasts and the, among the reeds, those are all symbols that are typically used in Old Testament about Egypt. Uh, but Egypt as a representation of foreign powers, right? And so they also recognize God and come to worship him. And then that brings... Uh, the psalm to a climactic close in verse 34-35. Ascribe power to God whose majesty is over Israel and whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. 
It's a repetition of the word power here, right? Five times and highlighting God's power as the one whose majesty is over Israel, who rules over Israel. So this goes from God who rises before us to God who is among us to rescue and then God who rules over us. And, uh, and then that the exhortation to repeat it, to blessed be God, to bless him, to praise him. Uh, it's from verse 35, uh, from verse 19, is repeated in verse 35. Um, and this God, uh, ultimately, uh, what, who rises before us and rescues among us and rules over us, is revealed to us ultimately and definitively in Jesus Christ, right? And that's why in Ephesians 4, 7 to 8, Apostle Paul quotes this psalm. Uh, he quotes verse 18 of this psalm, and he says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Right. So the psalm talked about how God, after defeating his enemies, like led his captives uh, behind them in triumph triumphant procession ascended to his mountain his abode and he received gifts from men and out of that right the Israelites received their spoils right and so in a similar way it's Christ who now defeats the spiritual authorities and rulers and he has and after his ascension it says he received the Holy Spirit from the Father and he dispute, distributes the gifts among his people right and so that's how Paul's connecting this that this victory of God that's seen here in this psalm Pointed to and was fulfilled in what Christ did on the cross, uh, that by by uh, and the way He defeated His enemies, the way He went before us, the way He rescued among us, and the way He ruled over us, it's through the cross. That's His throne. That's how He rescues. That's how He saves His people and delivers us. And that's why at verse verses nineteen to twenty can be appropriately applied to Christ. It's the Lord daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Our God is a God of salvation, and to God the Lord belong deliverances from death. Right? Apart from the grace of God, uh, there is no reason why we do not descend to hell at this very moment. Right? And it's, it's because we are united to Christ, to faith, right? and because of His common grace, humanity. Right? That's what preserves us, and that's Christ has saved us. So it could appropriate to say that Christ daily bears us up. He is our salvation. He's the one that's sustaining us at this very moment. Uh, and so we need to look to him uh, for our hope uh, and in faith that he's the one that goes before us uh, in all that we face. Uh, he is the one that rescues among us and he's the one that rules over us. And he rules over us even now, right? He didn't just save us and, and leave us to ourselves. He's still ruling. He's still in control. He's still sovereign. Um, so with that in mind, uh, let's sing another song and, uh, and pray. Thank you.